we look at the person of Christ in the Word of God, we look at the beauty of Jesus Christ, and as we do, we are transformed. We are, the word metamorphous, we're changed from the inside out, from glory to glory. It's a process. And the more you look at Jesus Christ, the more you're transformed from the inside out to be like Him. And then one day, He'll finish the work. And we have borne the image of the earthy, Corinthians 15 says, we will bear the image of the heavenly. One day he will finish the task and he will fully conform us to the image of his son. We shall be like him. Now, I wouldn't use that language if God didn't. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part three of the message titled, God's Unshakable Purpose. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Romans 8. I think uh, our hearts, as you turn to Romans 8, you know, I think our hearts instinctively want certainties. Uh, And I mean certainties about what really counts in life. I mean, the human heart is just built that way. I'm not talking about, you know, who's a touchdown underdog or whatever. The outcome of things like that. I'm talking about the outcome. What really counts in life. And God says He's put eternity in our hearts and there's a longing in our lives to really know things. And I'm so grateful that we can. When we turn to God's Word, we're turning to certainties. God and God only can speak with absolute certainty. And He has. And uh, He can guarantee things. Now we can when we quote Him. (laughs) I can speak with certainty when I'm quoting Him, when I'm banking on His truth. But I uh, I can't speak. I can't guarantee anything on my own. Neither can you. But it is so good to know that we have a book that speaks with absolute certainty and hence the great need to uh, spend time in it, to really let it get hold of our hearts. And uh, we want to do that. Uh, our text, verse 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Our text is a great statement of God's purpose. God's unshakable purpose. You know, we love the book of Job. If you, if you don't, you ought to spend some time in it sometime. Because uh, God spends 42 chapters allowing one man and everybody else who gets to read it, and a few others, I guess, that witnessed the, the situation, to really learn who He is, who God is. And you remember Job at the end of 42 chapters, that epic poem, that epic issue of what's wrong, why am I going through the suffering I'm going through? 
his questioning of God, at chapter 42, he said, finally, no purpose of thine can be thwarted. No purpose of yours, Lord, can be thwarted. And who am I to find fault with you, the Almighty? And he took his place before God and rejoiced in who God is. And I'll tell you what, that's the perfect place to be. No purpose of God can be thwarted. And when we think of his ultimate purpose, his unshakable purpose, it's a great comfort for us. And he states it. I don't know where you'll find a better statement of it than what we're looking at right here. It's a tremendous statement. I mentioned last time it's kind of like getting to the summit to get to this text. You see things clearly and things that he's been saying all the way through the Bible, really, but certainly through Romans and building up to this, you get up here in verse 28, 29, and 30, and you can he just spells it out. He states it in a didactic manner where you can really get hold of it and have a certainty to hang on to. And so we want to look at it carefully. Now, last time, verse 28, we saw that this verse isn't saying merely that all things work together for good. It's saying God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. God. This is personal. God's the beginning and the end of this truth. And He is the one who causes. We're not talking about mere fatalism when we speak this way. We're talking about a personal God that we've come to know. A God we love. A God who we love because He first loved us. He causes all things to work. He's the sovereign causer, if you will. God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases, the psalmist said. He's sovereign and He's omnipotent. Nothing is too difficult for thee, Jeremiah confessed. So he not only does whatever he wants, he can do anything he wants. And so you combine sovereignty and omnipotence and you've got a great comfort right there. It is God who causes all things to work together. He's the God you know, Christian. He's the God who sent his son to die for you. That's who we're talking about, who causes all things to work together for good. And then secondly, we saw that it isn't merely all things. Or I should say this, it isn't merely almost all things or most things. It is an absolute all things. He uses everything from the common, everyday irritants, the things that just seem like just so much chance or no, he causes all things to those things which seem catastrophic and we'll maybe never fully understand till we get home. I think of Johnny Erickson Tata and how many lives her life is touched as she trusts God and praises God and glorifies God, having been uh, paralyzed from her neck down at the age of 16. Uh, yes, God can use anything and does use everything for good to those who love God. And then you can even carry that out further even. And we, we say this with reverence, but I'll tell you what, I've had occasion to look men in the eye this week in personal conversation and say, I know that I can't begin to understand this, what you're going through. 
But I can tell you this, God causes all things to work together for good, even evil things. And that in no way excuses sin, it in no way excuses the, the guilt, the culpability of man. But I can tell you this, Christian, that God is able to use that which is evil for good, else He wouldn't be God. And in fact, all of Christianity hinges on that great truth. Joseph, in prefiguring it with the brethren, his brethren, the sons of Israel, who had sold him into slavery and figured they'd killed him and realized they hadn't, and God sent him ahead to Egypt to preserve their lives and their father's life and the, you know, the many good things that came from that. When Jacob died, when Israel was gone, they came to Joseph and they said, oh, what are we going to do? He'll probably kill us now. And he said, listen, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good to bring about this present result, to preserve many people, to save many people. What a picture of Jesus Christ. Man meant it for evil. This is no excusing or in any way mellowing the thought of what man did when he said, crucify him. What our sin did when we nailed him to the cross, the most wicked thing man could ever do, God used for good. And I say, that's the bottom line of our faith. And uh, remember that when you read verse 28. And then thirdly, remember, this isn't just a general, all things work together for good for everybody. Oh, no. This is very specifically for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. If you're here without Jesus Christ, if you do not love God, I have no assurance for you that the trouble you'll face this next week or next year will in any way work together for your good. But if you'll come to Jesus Christ, if you will love Him who first loved you, I can guarantee you the same thing I can guarantee each believer here today, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to his purpose. And I want you to just note verse 28 as we move from there to verse 29, the two ways a believer is described. The two ways a Christian, a child of God is described. From the human vantage point, he loves God. Do you? Do you love him? Well, I believe I, I can quote a creed. I, I went forward one. I'm not asking you about that stuff. I'm asking, do you love him? Do you love him? That's from the human vantage point. We love Him because He first loved us. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. But then you take it from the divine vantage point, and that's what Romans 8 is really doing here. Look at verse 28. The second description, those who are called according to His purpose, His unshakable purpose. Now, verse 29 and 30 just expound that phrase. To be called according to His purpose. What does that mean? What is it to be called according to the purpose of God? The sovereign, omnipotent God. What is His purpose? And what does it mean to be called according to His purpose? Now, this is so good to just let unfold. Uh, as I was meditating on this, uh, the words of of the psalmist came to my mind. You know, sometimes we need to just let God's Word 
unfold before us. Each layer of truth just teaches us. And uh, listen to what the psalmist said. The unfolding of thy words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me after thy manner with those who love thy name. Oh, if you love God, you love his word. And you say, oh, Lord, open it up for me. Unfold it for me. Be gracious to me. I'll open my mouth wide. The 81st, I'm quoting the 119th there, but the 81st Psalm says, open wide your mouth and I'll fill it. Open wide your heart. And when I come to Romans 8, 28 and 29, 30, I say, open your mouth. Let God just fill you with truth. Let this just unfold, kind of cascade down, you know, and just enjoy what God is saying here. And that's what we want to do, to just let it uh, unfold. First of all, called according to His purpose. What is His purpose? Well, if you want to answer it simply, we've already seen it. Our good. Our good. That's His purpose. Our good. But more fundamentally, verse 29 and 30 speak broader than that and deeper than that. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom He predestined, these He also called. And whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. Now, you say, what's his purpose? Well, I could answer our good from verse 28, but verse 29 opens it up for us, and we could say our good and his glory. Our good and his glory. And of course, they go together. God doesn't purpose things that are in any way contrary to one another. So his glory will be accomplished as he lavishes his good, his grace on us. That's amazing to think about it that way. Our good, His glory. First of all, and, and they're both there in verse 29, and then verse 30 just gives more detail. But first of all, in verse 29, our good. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. God's at work in our lives to conform us to the image of His Son. I mean, think about that. His purpose from all eternity, has been to conform you, Christian, to the image of His Son. He causes all things to work together to cause that. Everything in your life, God orchestrates to conform you to the image of His Son. Now, that's a process. I think of... Um, 2 Corinthians 3, when he says, you know, we all beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed from glory to glory into the same image. Picture of the mirror, and the Bible says the mirror is the Word of God. And we look at the person of Christ in the Word of God. We look at the beauty of Jesus Christ, and as we do, we are transformed. We are, the word metamorphous, we're changed from the inside out from glory to glory. It's a process. And the more you look at Jesus Christ, the more you're transformed from the inside out to be like Him. 
And that's what verse 29 is talking about. God is causing all things right now, even the suffering He just mentioned in chapter 28, even the groaning, all these things, especially these things, He's using to conform us to the image of His Son. And then one day He'll finish the work. And we have borne the image of the earthy, Corinthians 15 says, we will bear the image of the heavenly. One day He will finish the task and He will fully conform us to the image of His Son. We shall be like Him. Now, I wouldn't use that language if God didn't. Beloved, it has not yet appeared as yet what we shall be. But when He appears, 1 John 3, 2, we will be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. No wonder we eagerly await. No wonder we groan waiting that day when Jesus Christ gets back. We're going to be like Him. He'll transform the body of our humble state, Philippians 3.21 says, into conformity with the body of His glory. We're going to get a new body. We're going to be completely finished, you might say. He's going to sanctify us entirely, body, soul, and spirit. Thessalonians 5 verse 23 says, we will be like Him. So we will be conformed to the image of His Son. Just think about it. Just as God, in sovereign grace, created us in the image of God. Male and female, He created us in His image, remember? Just as He did that, so God, in sovereign grace orchestrates all things today. The headlines, the back page. The details, the big picture, everything. He orchestrates to conform His children to the image of Christ. What can we say? I mean, you know, He's going to ask that question. The rest, of, In fact, in, I told you last week, I hate to stop in Romans 8. I mean, the whole thing just keeps unfolding, and the text just... But you read ahead, memorize ahead, mull this over, get this in your heart. God causes all things to work together for our good. He's conforming us to the image of His Son. But secondly, notice, it's just not our good, but His glory. Look at verse the end of verse 29, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's not only for our salvation, but for His glory. God has purposed to surround His Son throughout all eternity with those who will be His brethren. I wouldn't use the term if He didn't. And by the way, I don't think we should use the term uh, addressing Him. The Bible doesn't. I kind of cringe when I hear people talk about their brother, you know, the Lord. He's the Lord to us. We're His brethren. In amazing grace, He doesn't... He's not ashamed. Hebrews 2, I think it's verse 11, says, He is not ashamed to call us His brethren. And we should bask in the family relationship. But uh, He's the Lord. He's the Lord. But amazingly, He's going to be the firstborn among many brethren. He's the forerunner. He's entered as a forerunner. He's the anchor that's already in the harbor, so to speak. He's already in, at home with the Lord. He is already at the right hand of glory. He's interceding for us now. He's entered as our forerunner. He'll be back for us. And He's the firstborn among many brethren. And the angels, all created intelligence throughout eternity, will marvel that you and I, that we are children of God, objects of His grace. 
He will be honored and exalted as the firstborn among many brethren. Now, watch how he unfolds at verse 30. Uh, you're looking, you know, I, I said it's the summit. If you've been living, you know, I was thinking about it this morning. I don't know if you happen to see the sunrise and about the hour that preceded it. But I'll tell you what, you get up on the summit, you know, and you see, and the word predestined, we get our word horizon from. You see God's purposes from eternity to eternity. You see the full picture. If you've been living down, you know, in the strip mall mentality down here, you know, in the valley, just kind of looking at everything, and your big concern is what man's purposes are and who's going to win New Hampshire and what's going to happen over here and whether the economy is really going to go. Are they going to raise the interest rates? And who's going to, will he have his arm today? Will the receivers be able to catch the ball? And all the little things we get all occupied with. If you've been living down in just marveling at man's little skyscrapers, you get up on the summit, you know. And you really see from horizon to horizon. And you know, you see from eternity past to eternity future in verse 30. It's all right there. And he doesn't mince any words. He gives a golden chain, five links. Notice, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. And I left the first one off because it's in verse 29. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, he gave us this view for us to bask in, for us to enjoy. God is on display. His purposes, his unshakable purpose for our good and his glory. Let's look at it. First term he uses, whom he foreknew, foreknowledge. Whom he foreknew. Notice it is whom he foreknew, not what he foreknew. The Bible presents this in a personal way. This idea in Scripture is intimate knowledge. It's personal relationship. From all eternity, God knew you, Christian. You know, this is the term that is used in the Scripture of the marital relation. The man knew his wife Eve, and she bore children. Oh, it speaks of intimacy. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. This isn't. Don't make the mistake some people do of just making this kind of a God just kind of looking ahead. He knows what's going to happen ahead of time because he can kind of, he's above time and he can kind of look on down the timeline like watching a video up ahead. What does that turn God into? A lot of people think that way. Even Christians, I find, think that way that God, you know, chose you because he saw that you were going to believe in him. What does that make God into? Well, just a bystander. Just kind of waiting to see how it turns out. Well, he can look ahead. He can fast forward. Oh, no. The God of Romans 8, the God of Genesis to Revelation, he foreknew you. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, God's Unshakable Purpose, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. 
We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the Ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Every Christian, everyone who loves God, everyone called according to His purpose, He says we are glorified. He uses the past tense. Did you see that? Why? Because it is absolutely certain. It's not He's going to glorify. That's true enough. We're groaning, it said earlier. We're waiting the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting that day of glorification, but it is so certain that he says, those whom he justified, these he also glorified. It's done. It's a done deal. Aren't you glad? Nothing in heaven and earth can separate you from him, and he's going to get to that down here later. Oh, Christian, this is the doctrinal truth, the doctrinal foundation for all the blessings of Romans 8. God's holy purpose from all eternity in your life and in my life. Join us again next time when we take a short break in our study through the book of Romans for a series of Christmas messages as we look forward to celebrating our Savior's birth. Pastor Scott will bring one of four messages titled, There Came a Man Sent from God. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.